Good morning. So, uh, it's lovely to see you, and if you are visiting, a very warm welcome to you. I'm Jason. Until the end of next week, senior pastor here with my wife, Bev, um, and looking forward to celebrating with you on the 6th. Um, as you can tell, it's an emotional day for us. My last sermon, well, it was billed as the last sermon. I hope it's not my last ever sermon. <laughs> But last, last farewell sermon as senior pastors, there is a tradition in the church called farewell sermons for uh, ministers and pastors who, as they leave their churches, uh, recording those for about 400 years. Um, so uh, it's a joy to share that with you today. Um, and Bev and I are doing well, and the Lord is moving us wonderfully, and just some quick feedback. So many of you, as we talk with you, saying the same things, that you're sad that we're going, but you're excited for us and blessing us. And also a growing sense of excitement about what God has for our church. And when we celebrate on the 6th, uh, looking forward to that. We've got lots of applicants, people applying to be senior pastors, and they get shortlisted on the 1st of November, and you'll get lots of updates from... Uh, our interim senior pastors, Stephen, Lynn, and trustees. Um, Bev and I have had the privilege of already just chatting to some potential people and seeing who God might be bringing along, and we're encouraged and excited um, here. So my last, uh, my farewell preaching with you, um, I sought the Lord for what I would share, um, thought, what could I sum up 25 and a half years, what could I bless you with? Our church vision statement is inviting people into their first and next encounter with God. And I felt I should do that today, start there. And um, you know the power of baptisms. Have you been to a baptismal service? They're electrifying as people tell their stories of having met Jesus. And because what happens is Jesus is alive, he is risen, and he manifests in response to those stories. And other people meet him. Um, and I just felt the Lord say, start there. And in fact, he said, what do you want to do? And what I want to do with you this morning is just be completely personal and talk about my encounters with Jesus. So what I'm going to do today is give testimony and bear witness to the work of Jesus in my life in the, the, in the hope that you will want to know more of him. Um, I'm going to use a prayer called the Anima Christi. It's a prayer, it's a very old prayer. No one knows the origins of it, maybe 700 years old. It's one I've been praying pretty much every single day for two, over two years. Um, and it's helped me in my encounters with the Lord. So it's a way for me to use a prayer, uh, Bible for, there's 10 parts to it. Um, so I'm going to tell you short stories. Some will be a little longer than others, but leave you with a prayer for you to take away with my testimony about Jesus. Uh, I think it's up there on the screen, isn't it? Um, and this is the uh, this is the old version. We'll come back to the uh, modern translation. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Let's let this be our prayer to start. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O oh, good Jesus, hear me. Within your wounds, hide me. Permit me not to be separated from you. From the wicked foe, defend me. At the hour of my death, call me and bid me to come to you, that with all your saints I may praise you forever and ever. Amen. So, ten lines, ten short stories about Jesus. I couldn't think of anything better to give you than tell you about my love of Jesus and his work in my life. And uh, that's what we will pray as we leave, that you will know Jesus more and more and more. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Mark 10, uh, verse 21. Um, this is Jesus with the, uh, 
with a potential disciple. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. This uh, passage to me has just haunted me the last couple of years. The idea that Jesus looked at someone and loved them. And the reason that we know that, it must have been the disciples looking at Jesus, thinking he's doing that look that we got. How did the person, the disciples writing this? Jesus looked at that person and loved them. They're like, oh, that's the way he looked at us. Do you remember? And I've been just so captivated by this. Um, the idea that the soul of Christ in this prayer would sanctify us, sanctify us, a, a theological term, it's hard to comprehend, but to sanctify means to be given over to and captivated by. We're all sanctified by something. It might be a sports team, our jobs, anything. But to be sanctified means to be possessed and owned and given over to and captivated. It's a very intense word, a very passionate word. You've probably noticed in this, um, in this prayer, it's incredibly intense, isn't it? And I had an experience. Oh, by the way, the, the stories that I'm going to tell you, I'll just give an introduction to them all. Um, in Christian spirituality and tradition, there's an understanding that when we spend time with the Lord and we listen to him and are with him, he often speaks in two principal ways. One of them is through contemplation, words. And we're thinking things through and he speaks words to us. But another way that he speaks to us is through experience, our imagination. Um, so you've noticed here in church, people often have words and pictures, don't they? Sometimes they'll have a contemplation, other times a meditation. And as I've spent uh, more, more time with the Lord in the last few years than I ever have, I've had the most wonderful encounters with him. So when I tell you these stories of my meeting Jesus, they are a mixture of me praying, words, pictures, and they all come together in the story that I tell you today. Is that okay? So that's how these stories come to me. So um, I've had an experience of reflecting on Jesus coming out of, he showed me himself coming out of the tomb, and I've shared this with you before here. And the idea that Jesus has a soul, what would Jesus' soul be like? The soul speaks to the deepest part of who we are. And, and my Jesus, when he came out of the tomb and looked at me, put his head to one side with a cheeky grin and winked and went, follow me? Because he knew full well the answer was yes. That captivated me. Him looking at me, loving me, and going, follow me? I've been possessed by that the last two years. And regularly, when I sit down in my prayers, think about him. Um, with my spirit, uh, The Lord took me through an exercise I call remembering. Um, when we know the communion story, Jesus tells us in, in communion, says, whenever you, whenever you break bread and drink this, do this in remembrance, which means to be rem remembered, physical body, to be rejoined to. One of the things we do about Christianity is reducing it to things we believe in our head. But what Jesus is literally after is we are supposed to be rejoined to him, body, soul, mind, spirit, to participate with him at the deepest levels that we can. Remembered. And he took me through an exercise, a prayer exercise, and showing me over my life different moments where he was bringing me to him. And, uh, and one of them that he brought to mind was a time, the first time I've consciously aware of a sense of God. And I was at primary school, uh, reception class, and we sat down on a, a, um, a rug, and the teacher read to us from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I remember the sun shining, and I remember hearing about Aslan. 
and I was captivated by Aslan. And then later in life, when I became a Christian at 17 and hadn't been to church, it's like, oh, this is who Aslan is. It's one of the reasons Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But one of the things, one of the things the Lord showed me in my prayer time was he was sitting behind me while that story was read to me. I shared that with my spiritual director, and he said, why do you think Jesus sat behind you while you were reading that story was being read? And I said, because he knew I would love him. From the moment I first heard about Jesus, I have loved him. And he loves me. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Uh, body of Christ, save me. Luke 2, verses 41 to 47. Now, every year Jesus went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, his parents were returning home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him, saying, but they couldn't find him. So they went back to Jerusalem, and after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Um, praying this line and this prayer and meditating on it and contemplating it and reading passages of Scripture. Oh, another one, sorry. John 10, verse 9. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Um, this has been very poignant for me, this passage, the idea of a 12-year-old Jesus. When I was 12 years old, it was probably the worst time of my life. When you're 12 years old, you go from being uh, a young person who is in some ways very unaware of things and unable to do things, but my father had left, he'd gone to work in the Middle East, my mother was the most abusive she ever was, and I was at that cusp of hormonal and adult awareness of how bad my life was and dangerous and having to take care of myself. Um, and the Lord did a very precious thing in these reflections of being 12, and he took me in my reflections and meditations, and I went to the temple with him, 12-year-old me, and um, he said to me, Jason, do you remember when you were 12 and you went to the library? I used to escape my life into books. I remember my mother um, said to me, uh, did not like uh, that at all and said, that's not going to work out very well for you. And here I am going off to be the principal of, an, of a college. So I escaped into books. Um, I was so shy, I couldn't say anything to anybody at 12, um, even though I was six foot tall, uh, was, was so beaten down and abused. Um, but I, the Lord reminded me, he said, do you remember when you managed to get an adult pass for the library? Because I went to the library and you couldn't join the adult library until you were 16. And I do not know how I had the gumption because I could literally not talk to another adult. I went and persuaded them to give me an adult pass to the library, which you were not supposed to get till you were 16. And there was a policy and a procedure. And the Lord said, do you remember that moment? I said, yes, Lord. He said, how do you think you managed to get that library pass that day? And he showed me that he was with me. And he pushed me up there. And I wandered around that library and I went home with about 20 books, and I have always had books in my life ever since. And it wasn't just escape, it was because the Lord wanted to do something in me that was important for my formation. So 12-year-old me um, 
went to the temple with Jesus and I imagined being in the story of Jesus in the temple and I saw him wandering around. He had an apple. I don't know why the Lord showed me. Jesus was munching an apple. I want to find out if he likes apples when I get into eternity. And he was wandering around and there was great danger in the temple. Very risky place. Twelve-year-old on his own. Predators. But he was safe because the father was with him. And in my mind's eye, Jesus went into a side place. And, he said, and, he, and in, this, in this wonderful experience I had of him, he was just so playful. I never played as a child. I couldn't play. So this was a wonderful thing for me to experience Jesus as a 12-year-old. And he would say, and we were running, he was running around, and I was being far, he said, you're being far too serious. And we wandered into a room, and there was just a, a stone thing, and he sat on it, and he said, and, we, and I sat with him. And in this experience of the Lord, I sat back to back with him while he munched his apple and gave some to me. And then he said to me, you can come here anytime you need to. And I tell you what, during COVID, in my prayer times, the number of times I have sat as a worried 12-year-old back-to-back with Jesus. Um, his body, the body of Christ. One of the amazing things about Jesus' incarnation is he wasn't disembodied, he wasn't he was fully us, Philippians tells us. He became fully us as a human being, entering to everything of my life. And he knew what it was like to be a 12-year-old with troubling family and circumstances and that sense of sitting with him physically. Um, in John there, about Jesus being in the gate, another experience of the body of Christ that I, have, I feel I have had was I, we went through Psalm 23. Any of you been, remember when we went through Psalm 23 here a couple of years ago? And the notion that Jesus sits in the gate. Jesus is the gate. So Jesus, with shepherds, they would have you know, maybe a wall and the sheep, but the actual shepherd was the gate. And there would be an open place. And they would sit there. So Jesus says, I'm the gate. And he showed me a picture of our church last year, about over a year ago, a year and a half ago, and the sheep and how they were safe. And he was the gate. And he said, told me to come and sit next to him. And I sat next to him. And I had a wonderful experience, probably drawn from from ones of early memories of my father and my grandfather. And I used to like stroking the veins on the back of my... Have you ever done that? Or had a grandchild do that to you? And I used to... I noticed the experience. You can actually still do this. I learned this at school. If you stroke your vein down there, you can stop the blood flowing through it. Did any of you know you could do that? And then it comes back. And I found myself in this prayer time with Jesus doing this on his hand. Flesh and blood, wonderfully alive. And he started to speak to me and said that I needed to get up and walk off with him. That he was the gate. I didn't need to keep being the gatekeeper to my life to try to feel safe and protect myself. Twelve-year-old me was to get up and go and explore with him. It's one of the words that he gave me early last year. Um, and to let go. More recently, the Lord gave me another wonderful picture in my prayer time about the gate. He brings it back to me again. And I've left the gate. I've wandered out with him. We're moving off and we're saying goodbye to you. And a few weeks ago, I felt the Lord in my mind, I say, look back. And as I look back at the gate, I could see someone with a pink jumper on. <laughs> tending to the gate. That's Steve uh, with Lynn, our interim senior pastors. The Lord said, I have many shepherds. soul of Christ 
captivate me. Body of Christ, save me. And it is the body of Christ that saves Christians. We're crucified with Christ and in Christ. It's not intellectual belief in our head. It's not wishful thinking and hoping that something happens when we die. But Christ enters into our world to come and live with us and for us to experience him. And and I love in this prayer, it's body of Christ, save me. An encounter with the living, risen Jesus. Number three, blood of Christ, inebriate me. Luke 22, verses 40 to 46. So this is Jesus in Gethsemane. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you don't fall into temptation. He withdrew a stone's throw beyond them. Knelt down, now stone's throw. If I throw a stone, I could throw it a long way. If my wife throws a stone, it might not be as far. So it's either a very short distance or a, anyway, stone's throw. (laughs) You'll try harder. Um, Where was I? Oh, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being anguished, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like blood falling to the drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Um Jesus in this story is, must have been incredible, and we know in the passage this was an incredibly distressing moment for the disciples. We're, we're, we're clued up here in Luke that the reason they've fallen asleep is not just because it's nighttime and they're tired. They're psychologically overwhelmed. Jesus, up until now, Jesus who calmed the storm, Jesus who walked on water, Jesus who walked through the crowd, is in anguish. Imagine how distressing that was for them. And we're told here in the passage, they, what happens psychologically when people are too distressed is they shut down. The disciples do not know how to process the anguish of Jesus, and they shut down. And he wants them to be with him, but they can't. They can't participate with him. And last year, I was in a place of very deep sorrow with losses in COVID, ruptures in relationships, conflicts in particular. And I felt when I was spending some time in this passage, Uh, spent a few weeks in it with the Lord, that he invited me to come and kneel with him. And he said, Jason, if I had anguish, it's okay for you to have anguish too. And I would sit in my chair and I would be fully present to all the distress and pain and anguish that I felt. And I would reach out for Jesus in the garden who prayed in anguish with me. And as he's, his, blood, his blood was dropping to the ground. Um, and as I was participating in that experience with him, I felt that Jesus said this to me. Um, and I felt him say, Jason, you fell asleep twice before. Don't fall asleep this time. And it wasn't a chastisement. I knew it was an invitation. And I had a conversation with him. At this point, I'm lost in prayer, and I'm just talking to the Lord. And I said, what do you mean, Lord? And he said, twice. When I was 30, and we'd planted the church here, and I'd worked 120 hours a week with three kids, and the day I went full-time as a pastor here, I had a nervous breakdown. Panic attacks, disassociation, derealization. I mean, one of the worst mental health episodes in my life. 
Um, and I used to take the Bible to bed with me because I didn't know how to read it. I was terrified. Bev had to sit in me. I could, she couldn't turn the lights off until I went to sleep. I was just so exhausted and anxiety. And my life had caught up with me. And I fell asleep. Fell asleep for a while. Overwhelmed with my anguish back then. And I felt the Lord. He was so kind and gentle to me. He said, and that was okay. You needed to fall asleep. And then when I was 41, 42, both my parents took their own lives. And the way they did it was particularly awful and traumatic. And their final messages to me were to, one to leave a letter, one to send an email and tell me of their dislike for me, disdain for me. I amounted to nothing and they were taking their lives because of me. Um, right, I, the Lord had wonderfully prepared me for that, that my parents were so abusive they would use their dying breath. That was, that was just their mode of operation in life. But I look back now and realize how traumatizing that experience was. And I fell asleep to myself again. I fell asleep in my relationship with the Lord, my, the depression that I had then. Um, and a few other symptoms were so, they cut me off from myself, cut me off from the Lord, cut me off in my relationship with my wife. Some of you were around then. It was a hard time. And I felt Jesus say, and you fell asleep then, but it's okay. It's okay. But then I felt the Lord say, but Jason, this time, with everything that I was going through last year, he said, I want you to be awake. I want you to stay awake for this because there is something I want to do with you in your anguish with me, it's time to stay awake with me. And I sat in prayer every day and let the Lord bring to mind and the pain was so overwhelming at times and I sat with him and from time to time I felt as if his blood dripped upon me. I stood in front of the cross, I kissed his feet And I stroked the back of his hand. And I let the fears and the loss and the worry and the anxiety take me closer to him instead of further away from him. So if you wondered what I was doing during October and November last year, it was that most days. Soul of Christ sanctify me, body of Christ save me, blood of Christ inebriate me. I would imagine the Lord's, and I still do in my prayers, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be the son of God with his blood coursing through his body, oxygenated, his cortisol and adrenaline perfectly balanced in his relationship with the Lord as he processed his stress and his anguish. And I would say, Lord, give me a blood transfusion. Oxygenate me as I pray. Water from the side of Christ wash me. John 9, verse 34. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And 1 John 5, 6-8, This is the one, Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And, the, and it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For where there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. And um, I think I've also got John 4 here. Jesus answered her, 
This is the woman at the well. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered, this is a few verses on, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. All these verses to do with the water from the side of Christ and, and, and the symbolism of it, but to participation of it that is in scripture and, and reflected on through the church in history. Water. Water from the side of Christ. He is living water. Um, the story of the woman at the well. I had a very profound experience with the Lord in that passage. Read it, come back to it regularly. And I watched him turn up at the well, tired and exhausted, fed up with the disciples. He sends them off to get some food. He's had enough of them. And then the woman at the well turns up. And Jesus has this wonderful interaction with her. And I hear this about living water. And then as was the way of my prayer times, I'm caught up with the Lord and suddenly it's just like he's chatting to me. And he says, what's that in your hands? And I looked down and I was carrying a gigantic jar, struggling to carry it. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I've got to get this filled up. He said, for who? Or for whom? What would his grandma be? I don't know. And I said, Lord, for everyone at church that I look after. And he said, no, you don't. He said, you tell them to come to me for water. What are you doing? And I'm going to tell you this story because this, this is the deepest I can go with my life with Jesus and some of the things that the Lord showed me because he wanted to heal me and grow me up in many ways. And he, the Lord said, do you want me to show you why you do this? Why you think you should fill up your jar and, for everybody else? And the Lord showed me my fears when my father left and abandoned us. And I thought, if I cared for my mother enough, we'd be safe. When I became a Christian, I thought, if I cared for people enough, I have a big heart and I love people. But it was very painful for the Lord to show me how most, a lot of the time, my caring for others was not about them, but about me. And it was a 12-year-old boy who was saying, please don't leave, please don't leave. Um, the Lord offered me a gift in COVID. He said, Jason, if I could give you one gift, what would it be? And I thought about it and I prayed and I went back and I said, Lord, I find conflicts difficult and people leaving very difficult. And I felt the Lord say three times, I should have known when God asks you something three times, uh, scripture tells us it's definitely the Lord and be careful. And he said, do you want me to give you a gift in this area? I said, yes. He said, do you really want me to give you a gift in this area? I said, yes, Lord. He said, do you really want me to give you a gift in this area? I said, yes, Lord. And then the most number of people ever left our church and the worst conflicts I have ever experienced in my life as a pastor took place personally. And, if I, and in those moments I went, oh, Lord, this is the gift. Somehow this is the gift. And the Lord said, yes, because I want you to bring your jar to me. I want you to learn to let me to fill your jar. And then you'll have plenty to spill over onto others. But if I don't fill your jar, 
you're going to keep trying to fill other people's jars. And I realized how exhausting it is to fill the jars up for other people. And so I said, Lord, what do you want to do with this? And I worried for a minute he was going to smash it. And he said, put it down there. And then he did something wonderful. He touched it and it filled with soil and plants started to grow it. And he said, we're going to keep that there as a memorial. And then suddenly I had a jar, a beautiful jar, just the right size for me. And as I looked, he reached out. And he filled it. And he said, there, that's better. Make sure you keep coming back and let me fill this up for you. I have shared with you again and again over the years, do you know, the register of these experiences that I've had with the Lord are nothing special. If any of you walk out the door and think, oh, I wish I could be a special Christian, this is not. This is available to every single human being on the planet who wants to experience Jesus Christ. And all I had to do was sit with him and be with him. And he brought this into my life at the register of my children that I love, my wife that I love, the relationships that I have, the, the most intense experiences. There is an experience of the body of Christ that is that and more, that is available to every single one of us. And that is probably my main story and testimony today for you all. Water from the side of Christ. Passion of Christ strengthen me. Galatians 2 verse 22. Uh, 20, uh, 2 verse 20. Uh, I know I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, and I, if you have been around our church a while, you know that I will tell you there is plenty of stories on the news and the media that will tell us how to measure life and make meaning from life and worry about the future or protect ourselves from the future. But the invitation for the Christian is passion of Christ. You know what the passion is? Not the movie but the actual passion. It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are called to relive the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are called to retell that story more than any other story, more than the seasons in the year, more than the academic year of a school, more than the cycle of our birthdays and the things that we hope for, more than being the rites of passage, being young and growing old. It is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we're called to experience and be the measure of our lives. And so many times I pray, when I've, often I pray this part of the prayer and pause on it when I'm like, that's complicated, I'm overwhelmed with this, this is difficult, I've seen that on the news, oh my goodness, what do I do? And I sit there and I go, passion of Christ, strengthen me. Lord, let your life, death, and resurrection be the way forward. Oh, good Jesus, hear me. Number six, Psalm 34, verse eight. Well, here's a lovely, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. We also, when we went through Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack. Sorry, what? I just said the old stuff. Yeah, the I shall not want. I lack nothing. God is good. Jesus is good. He has taken me a long time to meet the Father. That's a whole other 
story <laughs> um, that I've shared with you in part. But that God intrinsically and utterly is good to the core, and so is Jesus. And that in the midst of the most awful things, by the way, we did a whole series on the kingdom. Go and listen to Paul Lewis's talk about the kingdom and the now and not yet. Jesus said, in this life, you will have troubles. Pick up your cross and follow me. To take part in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there's a whole bit about death in there and suffering in there. There is no way to experience God the Father to him through Jesus without participating in suffering. That's a little aside. Oh, good Jesus. Coming to Jesus and knowing that he is so very good beyond anything. Another little experience I've had with the Lord that it reminds me of, I've been having many overwhelming things um, last couple of years especially. And I've imagined what it's like, Jesus with the disciples, you know, the Romans and persecution and the Pharisees, some of them wanting to kill him and the crowds and everything, not to mention the smells. For some reason, the Lord's given me the ability to imagine the smells of what things must have been like and it wasn't good in the New Testament. It would have been very smelly. And in the midst of all of that chaos, the safest place to be in the world was one place, and that was with Jesus. And, and I felt one time in the midst of an experience of this, like my life was like this, he just looked at me and went like this. Keep your eyes on me. It's all you have to do here. If I could go back into a time machine, I I'd, I'd, would love to go back to one of those absolutely chaotic moments and Jesus would be there and it'd be like, just keep your eyes on him, follow him. Oh good Jesus, hear me. Number seven, within your wounds hide me. Isaiah 53 verse five, let's read that. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. 1 Peter 2 verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed. Peter is quoting from Isaiah here. Did you know that in eternity there is only one person who will carry wounds with them? And who is that? Jesus. Somehow Jesus, all his wounds, awfully wounded on the cross, but our understanding from scripture and Christ's death, resurrection, is that he is the only person who will carry wounds into eternity. He will bear witness and testimony to every awful thing that has ever happened to any human being. And in my times with him one time, he said, Jason, do you see that? He goes, I say, yes, I said. He said, that's the time when you hid in the wardrobe when your parents beat the crap out of one another and the police had to come round. And you hid in the wardrobe all day and everyone thought you'd run away. Right there. Not forgotten, but remembered. Taken, transformed in him. Every wound, every pain, every suffering. And I was meditating on this with the Lord and asking him to show me more and my childhood wounds and my COVID wounds. And, and there was a moment, especially last year, I said, this is just too much. I can't. I'm so overwhelmed with pain and suffering. I just, I just can't do anything with it. And the Lord said, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, okay. And I felt the Lord, he was so gracious and tender with me. And he said, Jason, I really need to talk to you about something. 
I went, okay, Lord. Things are painful enough as it is. He said, Jason, you need to stop hiding yourself in the wounds of others. Again, there it was. Finding my validation of myself in my care for others as a pastor. It's a danger as a pastor. You think that if you care for other people that somehow you're safe. And Jesus said to me, you don't need to do that. Hide yourself in my wounds. And I started to unpack that with him. Um, And part of that for me was, I think I may have told this story, but I'll tell you a little more today. Um, There was a point in my meditations, and I had a spiritual director, and I got to the bits in the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, where he goes into the tomb. And I really was at my lowest ebb last autumn with how I was feeling. And in, in my prayers and my mind's eye, as Jesus went into the tomb, I felt him invite me in. And he was dead next to me. I went and laid down next to him whilst his body went cold and he was uh, passing into wherever he went to over the Easter weekend. And I stayed there while the tomb, the door rolled. And a very unpleasant experience, but I wanted to enter fully with Jesus into what I was going through. And I said, Lord, I'm staying with you. And I held his cold hand, and I felt like there were demons inside the tomb, cackling and laughing and thinking that they had won. And I want, I, he said to me, just trust me, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. And then we started to descend to the dead. I don't know how, but I went somewhere with the Lord in my prayers and my distress and my anguish. And then I got to a point where he said, Jason, you can't come any further. And I went back to the tomb and I waited for him. Four weeks in prayer every day. I waited and I waited and I waited. And that was the moment when the tomb opened and he came out with a big smile on his face. And he went, follow me. Yes, Lord. Number eight, permit me not to be separated from you. Matthew 26, verse 58. But Peter, this for me is one of the saddest, saddest verses in the whole Bible. But Peter followed him at a distance. Ah, I have ebbed and flowed in my relationship with the Lord. And he told me not to fall asleep. And I've gotten close to him recently. But I find myself now, after having encountered him so wonderfully these last couple of years, saying, Lord, I I don't want to end up at a distance from you. I don't want the busyness of life. I don't want the pressures of life. I don't want the stress of life to end up like Peter. Peter, who said, you have the words of eternal life and I'm going nowhere, ends up following Jesus at a distance. And I pray this prayer regularly. Lord, where are you? Am I following you? Am I close to you? Permit me not to be separated from you. I do not ever want to have to look to find Jesus. I want him to be where I can see him the whole time. And I, and I really, at, at best, want to only have to sprint a little to catch up with him, to follow him. Number nine, from the wicked foe defend me, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. 2 Timothy 4.18 The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. James 4 verse 7 Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Brothers and sisters, we have a very real enemy. And sometimes he wages a full frontal assault through pain and suffering to separate us from God. 
But most of the time, he is the father of lies who uses, I talked about this on the day when we shared we were leaving, he uses entropy. He, make, he takes us out the fire, makes us grow cold, makes us at a distance, uses entropy, indifference, and apathy. And before we know it, we are cold and not close to him. From the wicked foe defend me. And there is something at stake. I've discovered more than ever whether to go to church or not, whether to be in small group or not, whether to pray or not, whether to serve Jesus or not, they're not optional things to do if you have the time to do them. They are the Jesus things to do. And if we don't do the Jesus things to do, the enemy will separate us from God again and again. And number 10. At the hour of my death, call me and bid me to come to you, that with all your saints I may praise you forever and ever. Amen. Luke 23, verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is the the two criminals on the cross with Jesus. And one of them says, remember me. You notice that? Remember. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. I used to have a deep fear of death. And you might think, well, that's strange for a pastor, isn't it? He hasn't got much faith. But I realized what it was. Um, I had an operation. I've only ever had one operation with an anesthetic. Anybody had one? Forced unconsciousness, like awake, not awake, (laughs) was terrifying to me. Um, And I've had to process with that, the Lord, over the years. And he showed me recently that what it was, was ultimately about my fear of control and me being in charge. See, one of the things I did as a child, I much preferred when the worst happened because I could live with it. What I hated was the waiting for the worst to happen. And somewhere bundled up in there, my Lord's been gracious the last couple of years, showed me the depths of my... He said, let's talk about your fear of dying. About control. And I sat with him and enjoyed his presence so much and so strongly. I had one time where I was praying, where I was so in love with the Lord and so overwhelmed with life. I prayed a prayer and I said, Lord, could you just stop my heart right now? Because I want more of you and I want less of this. And he said, not today, but one day. One day, your prayer will come true. And you will be so close to me that you will not know when you have stopped being alive. And you are risen with me. And... This is the most personal of all. I want to love him more than anyone has ever loved him. And he showed me a picture of me one day being an old man. And he will pick me up and he will carry me into eternity. And the very last thing, uh, when I... It's a lovely memory for my daughter. My daughter, Anna, is on our video, and she, in one of these videos, goes, kiss on the head, and comes and kiss me on the head. Kiss on the head, we say it at home together. Kiss on the head. One of the encounters I had with the Lord, he showed me the night before I became a Christian, and the night when I went to bed when I became a Christian. And he said, Jason, do you know where I was? I went, where were you, Lord? He said, I was in the bedroom with you. Okay. 
And in my mind's eye, he leant over and he went kiss on the head. And one day, he will do that to me. Kiss on the head, Jason. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter your rest. So brothers and sisters, that's all I've got. Jesus. And he has so much for you. Can we have the worship team back? Thank you. Let's stand and pray. Oh, oh Lord. Jesus. Lord, as we worship now, incarnate yourself, manifest your presence. Show us your face. Look on us with love. Let us hear you say, follow me. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.